0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living Church. I am really excited to start a new sermon series this Sunday having to do with learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit. I myself, I've been learning so much through this study and have been trying to put into practice all the things that I've learned. I've been experimenting with these concepts and the results that I'm seeing are absolutely amazing. How would you like it for God to carry you through your life? Believe it or not, there's a place that you can get to where the Holy Spirit of God pretty much carries you through your life, through the good times and through the bad times as well. Our biggest struggle is to simply cooperate with God while He's leading us, while He's carrying us. Both this Sunday and next Sunday, I'd like to show you some secrets that I've found in 1 Corinthians 2 of how all of this works. How to be led of the Spirit. And you'll see this also means how to be carried by the Spirit. So listen in and see what you think. I want to remind you of something, okay? If you look at Galatians 5.18, this was a transformational scripture when I studied it probably four or five uh, months ago and Galatians 5 18 says this but if you were led by the Spirit you're not under the law and as I studied that word led by the Spirit it literally means to be carried by the Spirit and it it also means <clears throat> uh, more specifically to be brought along by the Spirit and it reminds me of the Samaritan and I have a message on this um, that's that's on, our, on SoundCloud um, but it, um, but it, it's that par- parable of the Good Samaritan who took that Jew who had been beat up and left for dead and put him on the donkey and led him to the inn, brought him along or carried him to the inn. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. It's more than just us following him. It's us allowing him, uh, allowing him to pick us up and carry us. To where he wants to take us, to bring us along. And so in 2 Peter um, 121, there's there's this very concept that's that's seen. 2 Peter 121, it says, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what I want us to do today is find out, hey. How can I be carried along by the Holy Spirit every day? Not just one day, having a good day, and then the next day trying to carry myself, and then going a week, filling in, in the doldrums, and then figuring out again how to be carried. No, we can be carried by the Holy Spirit every day of our lives, every day, and we should be. God wants us to be carried along or led by the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. So we're gonna be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, reading verse by verse over the next two weeks and finding out how can we be led or carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to start from the top. It's 1 Corinthians 2. We won't be jumping around too much. You can just kind of follow along in your Bible if you'd like. So the first verse starts, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. Okay, And it says... And so it was for me, it was with me, brothers and sisters. um, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And um, you can see from the way that I teach from the Bible, how I read from the Bible as well. it takes me a long time to get through a chapter because every verse has something that's worthwhile thinking about or meditating on or journalizing and so now is no exception I find so much in this verse about how to be led by the Spirit here and it's this we need to leave our self-reliance behind if we want to be carried by the Spirit we have to stop trusting in ourselves we have to. We have to leave self-reliance behind. We, cannot, we can no longer rely on our own talent to get us through life. Instead, we need to get the, have the Holy Spirit get us through life. We can no longer rely on our accomplishments. Look back on uh, an accomplishment or something that you achieved or your performance. That's not going to get you anywhere. What's going to get you somewhere is when the Holy Spirit picks you up and carries you hundreds of miles faster than you could have gotten yourself, spiritually speaking, of course. You can't rely on your education. You've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will carry you if you'll stop letting your education carry you. Your education is not going to carry you that far in life, but God's Holy Spirit is going to carry you farther than you could have ever dreamed or thought of. Your physical appearance or your resources or your influence or even your spiritual gifts cannot take you very far. But the Holy (laughs) Spirit can. So it's literally releasing your hold on what you have and taking hold of what God has. You can't take hold of what God has for you until you've let go of what you're holding on to. And it's time to do that today if you want to start being led of the Holy Spirit. So here, just succinctly put, or just concisely put, to be led by the Spirit, we have to let go of what we're self-confident in. Okay? To be led of the Spirit, to be carried by the Spirit, we have to let go of what we're self-confident in. Let's move on to verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For I resolved to know nothing... While I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I resolved to know nothing, no entertainment, no pursuing success, no know, know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so I want to ask you really quick, what is that? What does the crucifixion of Jesus mean to you? We talked recently about what his resurrection means but what does his crucifixion mean to you? Now, I wish I could open up the line and get your thoughts and, and your input, but let me give you share some thoughts that I had as I was journalizing and meditating on this myself. The first thing that it means to me is death to self. Death to my sinful, selfish, old nature that I despise anyways, that I wish I could get rid of anyways. The addictive me. The selfish me, the, 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 the incapable me, all right? I want that part of me to die. And so if I focus on Jesus's crucifixion and what Jesus did for me, in turn, I begin to die to myself. And that's exactly what I want. And that's really, truly what most humans want as well. They want to get rid of that old self, the abusive self. The, the, the self that's always pursuing selfish means. But here's something else that the crucifixion of Jesus means to me it means that I've been bought back. I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to any, I don't uh, belong to my boss. I don't belong to the government. I don't belong to an abusive spouse. I don't uh, belong to anybody. I belong to Jesus. He's bought me back with the precious price of his blood. I'm, I'm a free man now. <laughs> I'm bought back by Jesus. Here's another thing that it means. His death means that I get to be adopted as a son. And that doesn't matter if I'm a man or woman. I have a spirit of sonship. I have a spirit of sonship with Jesus because he died for me. And so if I'm gonna sit there and seek to know nothing but Jesus and Him crucified, I can literally sit there and think about, I am a chosen son or daughter of God. And no one and nothing can change my identity. My identity is not in my career. My identity is not in my family. My identity is that I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. It also means, whether the crucifixion of Jesus means That he became sin so that I might be the righteousness of God. That's what the crucifixion. So as Paul decided to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. He experienced the declaration of righteousness over his own life. Your righteousness cannot be gained by your own good deeds. Your own acts. Your own earning abilities. All right, You are righteous because God says you're righteous. Period. And you just need to receive that. So that's what the crucifixion of Jesus means as well. It also means that he's broken the curse of sin in my life, and I am totally set free now. Whether I can see it and experience it or not, I am a free man, and you're a free man, a free woman. You are free. The curse of sin has been completely broken over your life. Don't you for a second spend a bunch of time thinking about generational curses. Those generational curses were broken when Jesus was crucified on Calvary and you are set free. So there's no curse that binds you any longer. Lastly, just for me, and you could come up with your own list, but Jesus' crucifixion provided salvation and rescue for me. So every time I'm in trouble, I can call on the name of the Lord, and He will rescue me, He will save me. So that's what it means uh, here. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, these most likely were some of the thoughts that Paul that, that flooded Paul's mind as he thought about Jesus and him crucified. And so let me uh, go on to this next the, the same question. How can I be led of the Spirit? Before you can be led of the Spirit, you need to be led by truth. Before you can be led by the Spirit, you need to be led by the truth of God. If God says you're righteous, you're righteous, and until you come to grips with that, you really can't be led of the Spirit. If God says you're free, you need to be led by that truth, you are free, and then you'll begin to be able to be led by the Spirit of God. But first, you you've gotta be led by the truth of God, and you have gotta believe it, live it, claim it, declare it, walk in it, and allow no lie to direct your life, and only the truth of God. Only the truth of God. Well, let's re- read on in verse three of First Corinthians two. Paul says, "I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling." Uh, you see, the apostle Paul actually must have had some level of insecurity when he came to the Corinthian church. I'm not sure why. I'm not. I can I can surmise from some of the details that the Bible gives us. There had been other quote unquote super apostles who had preached at the Corinthian church and had actually tried to deceive the Corinthian church and as much as we might like to idolize the apostle Paul he was every bit as human as we are and had all the weaknesses that we have and he came to the Corinthian church in weakness with great fear and trembling let me tell you what I'm going to read this statement here don't despair in your weakness anymore. Stop despairing in your weakness and instead rejoice in your weakness. Now, before I tell you why you can rejoice in your weakness and I, and I encourage you to stop despairing in your weakness, let's, let's talk about what weakness means so it's not just some vague, ambiguous word uh, that, that, that I'm using here. Weakness is frailty, It's frailty. It's like frail health or frail finances or a frail marriage or frail emotions or a a frail relationship with your child or your children. It's a lack of strength. And I want you to think this week, have you experienced a lack of strength? I certainly have. This very week, I was weak. (laughs) I experienced a lack of strength. Weakness is suffering, okay? When you don't see the end of your suffering, that's weakness. It's a handicap. In other words, having to be overly reliant or dependent on someone else. None of us likes to do that, but that's weakness when we have to rely on someone else and we don't really feel like it or want to. It's having to have someone drive you around when you wish you could drive yourself around. It's it's not having enough money in the bank to do what you need to do. That's weakness, okay? It's sickness. It's not having what you need. And it could be even losing something that you treasure. That's all weakness. And what I'm telling you in all of these weakness, now that we can identify with what weakness is, I'm telling you don't despair in your weakness anymore. Don't despair in your weakness anymore. All right. Someone, someone on the line has been challenged with comparing themselves to other people. And you're always looking at someone else and thinking, "Well, I'm not good enough. I'm not like they are. I can't do what they do." Well, I'm telling you, stop despairing in your weakness, and certainly stop comparing yourself to other people, because you'll always you'll always either feel too good about yourself because you think you're better than they are, or you'll feel horrible about yourself because they're better than you are. <laughs> All right, so um, don't despair in your weakness. Instead, rejoice in it. So. Why is weakness such a wonderful thing? Well, we find in other scriptures that I'm about to read to you that the Apostle Paul says, When I'm weak, God is strong in me and through me. When I am weak, that's when God's power becomes visible, available, is manifested in and around us. And so you can wallow in your weakness the rest of your life because we all have it. We're, we're human. We all have weaknesses. We can wallow and be trapped in our weakness or we can begin to appreciate our weakness because the power of God then shows up when we begin to appreciate our weakness because it's an open door for God's power and his strength to shine through. Until then, it won't. And so let me give you a couple of scriptures here. Second Corinthians 12, 9 says therefore, again, 2 Corinthians 12:9 says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. And I'm telling you, I, I can't help but give share my own personal experience, I'm starting to get this. This isn't just lip service that I'm telling. Even this week, 2 Corinthians 12:9, even this week, I've been appreciating my weakness because every time I, I acknowledge, God, I'm weak. I can't do this. His power shines through without fail. And so I'm beginning to see why you would actually boast about your weaknesses or brag about your weaknesses. But let's read on. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And I love this. It's not like Christ's power showing up just when I'm weak. No, if I will literally rejoice in my weakness. Stop despairing in my weaknesses. His power will come down and rest on me. It will be there permanently. His power will rest on me permanently. Praise God. In verse 10, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Wow. Wow. That is that is absolutely awesome. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 13:4. 2 Corinthians 13:4 says, "For to be sure he was crucified. This is Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him." Praise God. These are amazing scriptures. So, so here's, here's what I get from this. To be led by the Spirit, we first have to live in and appreciate our weaknesses. In other words, we can't begin to have this, a, a Spirit-led life where day-to-day the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us and telling us what to do until we accept our weakness and appreciate the power of God that comes in as a result of our weakness. Does that mean that God wants us to stay eternally sick? No, that's the point. We accept our sickness and say, God, I appreciate the sickness. And then his power comes in and heals us of that sickness. Praise the Lord. You know, um, part of our readings for this this week um, is about Paul's thorn in the flesh, which are mentioned in these scriptures here. I've just read a couple of verses, but um, I'm going to encourage you to read the whole chapter. And, and Paul says, you know, three times I asked the Lord, would you remove this thorn in the flesh? And we, and we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but it's very graphic, a thorn in the flesh. I mean, that's painful. Uh, it's, it's not a pretty picture. But God said, you know, my, power is, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made complete in your weakness. Does that mean that Paul was never delivered from that thorn in the flesh? Not at all. The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> People misinterpret that all the time. Let me tell you what, eventually God, I'm sure, delivered Paul from the thorn in the flesh. But it wasn't until God, Paul began to appreciate the weakness that he was in and God's sufficient power and grace to help him in that weakness that God began the healing work, I'm sure, in in Paul's body, in in whatever respect uh, he was suffering there. So to be led by the Spirit, we first have to live in and appreciate our weaknesses, understanding that our weaknesses are an open door for God's power to operate inside of us. So I must, listen to this, I must learn to not despair in my weakness anymore. I've got to learn to stop despairing every time my weakness confronts me face to face. Well, let's read on in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter (laughs) 2. My memory is getting worse and worse. All right, so verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So here comes Paul, preaching, feeling insecure, feeling inadequate, fearful and trembling. But let me tell you what, when he, he accepted his weakness, the power of God began to be demonstrated as he preached. Hallelujah, man, that's incredible. You don't need to be a preacher to preach, by the way. Every single one of us, should be preaching. Preaching in love, not preaching at people, but encouraging people, telling people the truth. So when you see your weakness, we must automatically think and realize this. This is an opportunity for God to demonstrate His power. He has plans to show His power. Praise God. So every time you see your weakness, let it remind you of God's infinite power. And then you can get really excited, you know, happy, joyful about this and so weakness is you know i've already mentioned several examples of weakness a couple more though is when you don't know what to do you don't know what to do that's when god's power shows up when you don't have the answer and you acknowledge it that's when god's power shows up whenever you feel incapable of dealing with a situation you're not smart enough you're not good enough I, you can't do it god's saying yes you can't do it but i can and i want to show you my great power I'll give you a personal example, okay? So I was at work. I was developing this training at work, okay? And um, it took me weeks, months, I don't know. It took me a long time to write this training, develop it, and then I was put before a panel at work of people who were to evaluate this training. And um, I got some really scathing back feedback. In other words, it was it was negative feedback on all this effort and I decided I was going to quit. I wasn't going to go any farther with this. And But you know what? Thank God, I went ahead and went through with this. And that feedback, that negative feedback that I got, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I embraced my weakness, and God's power kicked in, and I was able to train 140 people on some training that God helped me to develop. All right. So you need to look at your sickness and say, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, you look at your struggling marriage and say, this is absolutely the best thing that ever happened to me. You lost your job. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. God's power is about to show up in my life. Mm -hmm. Isn't that awesome? So we read on in verse five, Paul says, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. So many times we place our faith on a person. We place our faith on ourselves, even. We place our faith on our employer, the government, whatever. But we place our faith in the wrong place. Sometimes, and many Christians do this. In fact, I was listening to uh, a preacher. This I won't say who I was listening to, All right? I'll keep it... I'll keep it a mystery. I was listening to a podcast this week, and this preacher said, you need to connect with your faith. And I'm saying this word for word, verbatim, how the preacher said. You need to connect with your faith. Now I want to ask you, what on earth does it mean to connect with your faith? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. All right, You don't need to connect with your faith. You need to connect your faith to God. All right, You can't have faith in your faith. You can't have faith in your prayers. You can't have faith in your reading of the Bible. You have to have faith in God and God alone. Period. End of story. As soon as someone says your prayers are powerful, I start wondering if you're putting too much faith in your prayers. Your prayers are not so, so much powerful as the God who you're praying to is powerful. Amen? And so we need to make sure that all our faith is Placed squarely on God and not on something or someone else. So, listen to this. I can't be led of the Spirit until I place all my faith squarely on God and nothing else. I cannot be led of the Spirit. So, put differently, I can begin to be led by the Spirit when I start having faith in God. And I love what Mark... Oh, goodness, I can't remember now. I think it's 1122. It says, have faith in God. (laughs) You can't get any more basic than that. Have faith in God. And then I think of Proverbs 3, 5, I think it is. It says, "Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, that's God, and he will direct your paths. And so if we want the Holy Spirit to have an active part in our life, we have to have faith in God. We have to trust in God. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read this verse in the Amplified Version. Some of you are following along in your amplified versions, and so I'm sure you'll appreciate this. But it says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those spiritually mature believers who have teachable hearts and a great and, and a greater understanding. Yet we speak a wisdom among those spiritually mature believers who have teachable hearts. And I wanna I wanna say something, I'll never forget this. Um Tina and I, many many years ago, we were out of town. We were talking to this lady who was a, a Christian. I'm sure she was a Christian, but um, she she was bragging about how she was an intercessor. And if you know what an intercessor is, that's somebody who prays for other people and and sees them delivered and healed and helped. And so as I listened to this lady, I could see that she was very prideful of her uh, of her spiritual vocation of being an intercessor. And I thought to myself, you know, at the time, I don't think this lady is really that mature, (laughs) spiritually speaking, because she's bragging about something that's really not to be bragged about. Um, And so here's the question I'd like to ask is, what does it take to be spiritually mature? And this verse in the Amplified Version tells us what it takes to be spiritually mature. It takes a, a teachable heart, a teachable heart. If you want to grow spiritually, be teachable. Let the Holy Spirit teach you new things every day. Every day. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as being a teacher and, and doing two things, teaching us and reminding us. And We're going to talk more about that um, in the coming weeks. But we, if we want to be spiritually mature, we have to be teachable. But that goes for work stuff too. You can't grow professionally unless you can be taught a thing or two. You can't grow in your marriage unless you're learning from your spouse. You can't grow as a parent unless you're learning from your children. You can't grow in anything unless you're teachable. And so let's set our pride aside and stop thinking we've reached a limit of knowledge and say, God, I want to be teachable. So we cannot be led of the Spirit unless we're teachable. We must be teachable in order to be led of the Spirit. Continuing on in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 2, But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, you know what that word conceived of is, is like a seed, uh, you know, a, a thought, a thought, what no mind has even had a thought of, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And let me tell you what this This statement right here should be the mantra of those who are being carried by the Spirit that the things God has planned for us is beyond human imagination, and that 's why I want to be led of the spirit because he's taken me to a place that I could never reach myself. I could never reach this place, so my mantra what's a mantra it's a statement that I might live by that i might you might often hear me say all right, my mantra is. No eye has seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. A spirit-led person is going to say this and think this and meditate on this and believe this. I love this verse in Psalms 40 verse 5. And I think I read it a couple of months ago, but it's just really stuck with me. Psalms 40 verse 5, it says, many O lord my god are the wonders you have done and the plans you have for us none can compare to you if i would proclaim and declare of them they are more than could be numbered listen to that the plans that god has for you they're more than can be numbered and the plans are so big and brawny and bodacious and incredible beyond imagination they're so big that you're going to need God to reveal them to you because your mind, your puny mind, my puny little mind can't even dream up the big things that God has planned for us. Wow! I'm about to jump up and down, but I'm sitting down and I'd hurt myself if I did that. All right, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 2. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. There it is. (laughs) How are you going to get these things? You've got to be Spirit-led. You can't rely on your education to take you very far or your intelligence to take you very far, your talents, your gifts. The Spirit has got to reveal these things to you so that you can get there and then be carried to that place. Carried to that place. The Spirit, continuing on in verse 10, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What are the deep things of God? Well, if you look at the Amplified version, it refers to God's thoughts his purposes, his plans, the deep things of God. And look at this in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except his own spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And this statement has gripped me so much and I didn't even get it so much from this verse the first go around. I was actually reading in Isaiah 40 verse 13. When this first came to me, and this was just very recently in my own devotions, Isaiah 40, verse 13, it says, Who can fathom the Spirit of God? Fathom means who can comprehend, who can even imagine the Spirit of God? Well, I was reading this on my phone, on the, the Bible app on my phone, and the Spirit, the word Spirit, had a little button beside it, and I clicked on that button, and another word was thoughts. Who can fathom the Spirit of God? In other words, who can fathom the thoughts of God? Let me tell you what, almost synonymous are the words, the Holy Spirit and the thoughts of God. When you know the Holy Spirit, you're going to know the thoughts of God. And when you know the thoughts of God, you're going to know the Holy Spirit. And so I come back to, once again, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 2 that says, in the same way, no one can know the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Let me tell you what, I want to know the Holy Spirit really bad because I really want to know God's thoughts really bad. I, I, at any cost, I want to know what God is thinking. I want to know the deep things of God. And the Bible says that deep calls to deep. God's depths are calling to your depths. God's Spirit is calling to your spirit to your inner soul to your inner man and he wants to share and reveal things that you could never dream up yourself absolutely amazing so as i begin to be carried by the spirit i begin to have different thoughts thank goodness i don't even like my thoughts half the time i wish my mind would shut up sometimes and just be quiet be silent Well, as you get carried by the Spirit, you will begin to have the very thoughts of God entering into your mind. You'll begin to understand things that you never understood before. You'll begin to have a perspective you've never had before. And that is, the reason for this is that um, uh, the the Holy Spirit of God uh, not only knows the thoughts of God, He reveals the thoughts of God to you. He's going to share them with you. Even though God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, so I'm going to end there. Um, it's this is we're cutting this chapter in half, and uh, just in review, in order to be led or carried by the Spirit, we need to let go of what we have self-confidence in. We've got to stop being self-confident and start being God-confident. Let go of your talents, your your pedigree, your. Uh, your credentials, your accomplishments, let go of all of that and take hold of something far better, which is God. Number 2, before you can be led of the spirit, you need to be led by truth. Listen to God's truth about you and who you are and what Jesus did for you and your new identity in him and stop listening to the to the lies of the enemy. And then you're going to begin to be carried by the spirit of God. Thirdly, In order to be led of the Spirit, you first have to live in and appreciate your weaknesses because your weaknesses are the portal of God's power into your life. And you need to stop despairing in your weaknesses. I need to stop despairing in my weaknesses because I do, believe me. You can't be led of the Spirit until you place all your faith squarely on God and nothing else. Don't have faith in anyone or anything else but simply on God, and you will begin to be led of the Spirit. It's very interesting in Galatians. I'll just have to say this really quick. Galatians starts off uh, about having faith and ends up being about being led of the Spirit. And it, 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 Paul doesn't even switch gears. It's somewhere between either chapter 2 and 3 or 3 and 4. He goes from faith to walking in the Spirit. They're one and the same. If you walk in faith, you're walking in the Spirit. Praise God. And then um, the last two things is to be led of the Spirit, you must be teachable. Let God teach you something new every day. Let Him remind you of something that you've forgotten every day. Amen. And your mantra as you're being carried of the Spirit, carried by the Spirit, is the things God has planned for you are beyond human imagination. That's that's the mantra. Every day you get up and say, God, you have plans. N- un- innumerable plans more than I can count and um, I can't wait to see what those are but only your spirit is going to carry me to that place so praise God let's, uh, let's pray Lord Jesus we just thank you Heavenly Father for the richness the richness of your word Lord God how you, you, you show us mysteries Lord things hidden that other people may not see Lord we can see them Lord God, we want to be teachable, we want to be humble, we want to be open to you, O God, and we need to be filled every day with you, every day with you. Lord, I can't wait for this week to see the things that you have in store for us, Lord God, as we begin to walk in faith, walk in truth, Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, trusting you every step of the way, and then we'll find ourselves naturally, automatically being carried along by the Spirit. Lord, with good works prepared in advance for us to do, Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for it. In your name I pray. Amen.